Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast wherein I interview performers, promoters, fans and most especially comedians about what comedy actually is and what it means to them, through shows they've seen, through their own experiences or, if they wish, through expressive dance, although I appreciate that, that might not work on an audio medium. I love talking to comedians about comedy and if you like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode splits her time between England and Ireland, performing in both English and Irish. She's a vibrant and energetic comedian, regularly emceeing at Dublin's International and Cracked In Comedy Clubs, as well as performing all around the UK with her sassy, sexy and very funny brand of comedy. It's stand-up comedian, Aideen McQueen. Hi, hello. Hey, Mark. If you're happy, we'll crack on. I'm happy. Terrific. So tell me about um, growing up in Ireland. When did comedy come into your life? Comedy coming into my life. I suppose I was the oldest of two, of three sisters. Mm-hmm. We were like, I was born in 1983. Maeve was born in 1984. Aoife was born in 1985. Really mm-hmm. close of age. Like um, I used to joke and say they called us, well, they used to call us Russian dolls. <laughs> Because we were so similar in age and appearance, but actually it ended up that we drank vodka and fell apart. But <sighs> it was, um, so I was always in charge. I was always making fun. I was always playing games. I used to dress up in these awful bicycle shorts that my aunt gave us. And I used to <laughs> pretend to be a clown and do loads of characters for my sisters. Um, <laughs> one of my sisters still talks about them. I used to talk about this guy called Pauline the Clown, who would, was this, used to babysit them. And he was... I'm not really sure what he was, but he was having an affair. It was all very complicated. He was having an affair with an aunt of a, a fictitious aunt, also played by me called Auntie Josie. <laughs> and they would never be in the same room at the same time. Mm. And um, Auntie Josie w- was a terrible aunt and she was like just really negligent of my sisters. And then Pauline was a bit better. <laughs> It, I, I can't. I, re, I remember saying though I, that Auntie Josie in character said, "I fancy the pants off that Pauline," and my sister's finding that so funny. But I think it was just because I was eight and I had that vocab, and they were six and seven. They were like, "Wow, she's blowing our mind. This is crazy." So I always loved entertaining, and then I used to always try to be in the school plays. Mm. And they always used to give me the fucking narrator job. I'm like, "Oh, not this shit. I want to be the princess." <laughs> I, I played the evil stepmom quite a bit. I was that was the kind. They, somebody saw something in me that said evil stepmom, and I was Cinderella's stepmother. I think I also played the stepmother in um, the Children of Lear, which is an Irish legend. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that quality was in me from a young age. But I always wanted to be the princess. Never got that gig. Later, <laughs> now that I'm uh, like I did go teaching myself, I was like, oh no, the princess gig is a few lines and a few little smiles. Yeah. Stepmom is where it's at. That's where you put the kids with a bit of talent. You know, she's <laughs> the predatory older woman. So tell me about being a teacher then. Did any of that influence your comedy later on? Well, I suppose I had stories about being a teacher in my stand-up. Yeah. I had stories about kids. Mm-hmm. Not as much as you'd think. A lot of it is just not that funny or it's been done before by right. other stand-up comedians who are teachers. But yeah. I definitely had a few stories. Like I, I set my hair on fire in school. That was a that was terrible for my career, but really good for stand up. I got a good ten minutes out of that. I, at one stage in England, I taught the whole class of kids to wink, you know, because winking is much more normalised in Ireland as a normal form of communication. 
And then they got in trouble with the principal for doing it. And I was like, don't fucking tell on me. It's you're on your own. You're winking. <laughs> so I did. I did have a few stories. And I suppose I do sometimes go into that teachery kind of voice that I yeah. have. Now, everybody. Hello. <laughs> especially if I'm emceeing, I'm in danger of patronizing the shit out of the audience. Good <laughs> money. So I have to maybe avoid that sometimes. I think I haven't taught since December 19 mm-hmm. in a class. So, yeah. but I don't think you can take the, the school, the girl out of the school, you know, the teacher out of me <laughs> that quickly. <laughs> so you mentioned emceeing. Do you prefer emceeing to being an act or is it both the same for you? I used to get low. All my work was nearly emceeing. And then mm. I found that my when I did material, it sounded like somebody doing a limerick, like really false. And my lim- material doesn't work. I love the thrill of emceeing when you've just made something up and the excitement of it. It's great. And everybody thinks you're magic. Uh-huh. Um, but material is more satisfying because you're, t- you're, you're planned it. You want to say something about yourself. You want to communicate. Mm. You want to talk about, let's say, my alcoholism. I'm going to communicate about that. Yeah. And if you achieve what you set out to, it's it's golden as well. Um, the advantage of emceeing is mm. that you can go back to the same club a few times a year. They don't mind. Whereas mm. if you're doing your act, maybe once, twice, max a year, you can go back there. So you right. make less money more often emceeing, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, You're happy improvising then. Yeah, I love it. So I was emceeing last night. Yeah. And I did a, bit, a few bits like I was in York. So right. I had a good wander around York first and I had a few things to say about it. It's a fabulous city. Like normally you go to these awful towns, maybe like Ipswich. Sorry, anyway, it's switching as if you're listening. <laughs> and you're thinking, wow, how did these English people have create an empire? They can't even really create a proper Greg's. And with York, you're thinking, yeah, they, they, they were, this is the ruling class. You were meant to be our overlords. Congratulations. This architecture is amazing. <laughs> so I did a bit there. And, um, but I suppose, yeah, but if you, the best of all, though, is when you improvise in your own material and then it becomes your normal set. That's great. That feeling is divine. <laughs> Our audience is different in Ireland to in England. Yeah, but they are. There's mm-hmm. more of a cult. So the first stand-up comedy club started in Ireland in 1992. Mm-hmm. So it's quite recent. There wouldn't have been in the tradition of vaudeville or that kind of stuff, variety shows that you would have had in England. Right. Um, because it's a rural population in Ireland. So people have these people called Shanachies. Mm-hmm. And the Shanachie is usually an old man that would sit beside the fire in an iron jumper, not dissimilar to something I'm wearing now, um, for, the, for the listener's pleasure. <laughs> I'm very Irish today. Um, and the Shanachie would tell us tale. And, you know, that it could be funny as well. And there'll be a bit of tragedy in it. And so long winded kind of stories with a lot of satisfying <laughs> bits and that you would have learnt off by heart. And when I was small, actually, I used to do these Shanachy competitions, like little storytelling competitions. Mm-hmm. I get to the Leinster final storytelling. So that was quite the tradition. So different from standard words, joke, joke, joke. Yeah, it would be a story and there may somebody might be fooled at the end or somebody might be tricked mm. you know sometimes and a lot of the paddy englishman paddy irishman paddy scotsman kind of stuff would be in it but yeah. i was shocked to find that in england paddy irishman is the fall guy because in ireland <laughs> paddy englishman is a tico you know paddy irishman always gets one up blew my mind <laughs> 
Um, what about performing in Irish? I mean, I can only assume that linguistically uh, there might be words that are different. I know there are fewer letters, for example. Is it different linguistically? Ooh, you've done your research. That's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, we've got acute accents and the stuff like that. And then hmm. if you put an MH together in Irish, it makes a V sound. Right. So you have a name like Leal or a BH, it makes a V sound as well. So hmm. it makes Siobhan. So that's why you have all that strange spelling stuff. Like yeah. <laughs> the endless hours of stand-up comedy has been devoted to the, the weird spelling of the Irish language. Uh, yeah, it is, well, I'm one of the few stand-up comedians that does it in both languages. Mm, yes. And some people have a little bit of it. Some people are very fluent. I was raised with it because my parents are mental. My dad is, anyway, a very <laughs> nationalistic, very Republican Irish man. And <laughs> I, so it's fine for me. It is different because it's a different language. So you can't always have the pullback reveal. Like they say, English is a really good language for stand-up because right. you have um, um, the verb doesn't come to the end or, or you know, whereas in, in Germany, the verb is at the start or the noun is at the start, so you can't yeah. have the pullback reveal. <laughs> so ours is a little bit like that. It's different order. Right. And um, yeah, it's limited. It's, it, everybody isn't as fluent in the audience, so you have to be a bit slower. Um, but then you can get great fun out of people people learning the language, different kinds of speakers, different kind of accents. Yeah. So it's its own little beast. I wouldn't do much of my English stuff. I used to make the mistake of going, not preparing and just going, actual translation in my head when I'm on stage and then realizing, <laughs> oh, this isn't good. Or there isn't a phrase in Irish that means like, um, you know, fuck boy. You know, you're like, oh, this isn't going to sound good. You know, it doesn't always translate. So you have to um, you have to write it from Irish rather than translate it. Yeah. How are you in competitions and what's the experience like being up against your peers? Um, I, I mean, I suppose I got to the Irish Comedian of the Year final a few times, never made it. Um, I got drunk. It was when I was trying to get off and on the drink and I was really drunk in the final. It's my only... Like I got, I was just ossified. I blacked out on stage, no idea. And I got a review from Julia Chamberlain. That's my only review in Chortle saying that I was like Bambi with this drunk impression. I'm like, it wasn't an impression. <laughs> and I went to rehab and everything. And I wrote to them. I was like, please take that down. I've gone to treatment center. I'm all right now. Can you just like get off my back? Not in a much nicer way, of course. <laughs> and nothing back. Mm. So that's up there for everyone to see. Another one I got drunk as well, the uh, Moose Moose. But um, I don't know. I mean, competitions are some people are good at competitions and good at comedy. Mm. And some people are just good at competitions and some people are just good at comedy. Yeah. And when I say comedy, I mean, you know, you could have a comedian like I know some people in Ireland that are really they're successful. They make a decent, decent living out of comedy. Um, in fact, they, one guy on Dancing with the Stars, the Irish version, mm. but he would have never, ever, ever done well in competition at all. Right. Um, their material isn't edgy enough or different enough for um, what the competition ready stuff is. Mm. And then you have these people who do great in competitions and you couldn't put them in a gig anywhere outside of a really trendy, rarefied gig in London because yeah. they would scare the shite out of people. <laughs> so it depends. It depends. It's great when somebody has a mix of both and they're original and they're fucking hilarious. And you think, oh, yeah, even my mom would like that. That's in class. Yeah. You know, that's when somebody's really a star, isn't it? <laughs> so you said there about getting drunk. Do you want to talk about alcoholism? Sure. Sure. Hi, my name is Adina. It's been uh, seven months since my last drink. Um, so, yeah, alcoholism is 
a, a great if you're a comedian because you can hide it mm. to a certain extent. There's a lot of functioning alcoholics working in comedy, um, <laughs> you know, because it's one of the few jobs where you're allowed to take a drink to your workplace. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that? What did you used to do before you were a, a, a 100% comedy nerd? I was a shop manager. So, yeah, oh, very yeah. much couldn't be doing that now. Even if you were working as a manager in the whiskey store, yeah. I doubt you'd yeah. be able to drink on the job. <laughs> but so comedy, you're actively encouraged to. And they say it's the most difficult job, comedy. But I'm like, you can drink on it. Like, it's definitely yeah. not the most difficult job if you can do it while drinking. Yeah. You can you can drink as a comedian, musician, mm-hmm. and possibly an MP. Definitely in the House of Lords, yeah. you could get away with it. <laughs> so it was it, it was a good... It, I don't think I did it, like, you know... My more hardcore people would say, "Oh, everything you did in your drinking life, you did on purpose, subconsciously, to so to allow you to drink more." I don't think I did that, right. but yeah, it um it was informed my kind of persona for ages as just a party girl on stage and fun until it wasn't fun, mm-hmm. and I ended up blocking out in gigs. I'd end up missing gigs. I'd end up being really bad on stage, ending up saying really inappropriate, wildly inappropriate stuff. Thank God I'm a woman. <laughs> Um, I was protected by my vagina because at one stage, I remember doing a school fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the time you think, oh, this must be a charity gig. It's not. Some of these school fundraisers, they were, you know, private school that wants to get the second swimming pool and they'll have a few comics and it'll be wonderful. <laughs> and I wanted to tell a story in my sober story was how um, when I was teaching, mm-hmm. um, I used to look for the good looking dads, the divorced dads, and I'd be calling them in for a parent-teacher conference, I'm like, oh, no, your son, sit down, Mr. Murphy. Mm-hmm. No, 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 your son hasn't been naughty, but I have, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was in my head what I was saying, but instead, apparently, mm-hmm. I at this gig, I pointed to a guy, a young lad in the audience and said, you want to fuck me, don't you? Really drunkenly. And he was 14. Oh. And that is so inappropriate. Yeah. I was bundled off stage and, you know, bundled into the back of a car. So there was, um, yeah, there was bad stuff like that mm. um, that happened. I mean, it's funny now in hindsight, but it's not really. Is it? <laughs> See, that's the problem with a lot of drinking stories. They start off a hoot and then you're like, oh, my God, this is not good. Yeah. How is it now then? Because obviously. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. You're good. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I missed drinking at first. I missed gigging drunk. It's such a loose feeling. <laughs> but now I don't miss it. It's it's just second nature to get up there yeah. and just do it. And I'm sure I'm better. I mean, you think you're better after a few drinks. It's like the way people think, oh, my God, I, I'm fluent in French. When I have one pint of me, I can speak French. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> and then maybe if you have one pint, but... It was impossible for me to have one drink. My dream was always to have one drink, two drinks before a gig. But to an alcoholic, having two drinks, mm. having one drink is like somebody giving you one high heel, one shoe and saying, there you go. It's just making you worse. That is just uncomfortable yeah. feeling of just having that one drink. So I couldn't do it. Yeah. couldn't sustain that. What about when your your workplace is places that it's just everyone is drinking all around you all the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't notice it, but that's yeah. because I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. I ring people. I'm used to it. If I weren't doing all those things. Yeah. Like I, I it used to get me when I wasn't doing all the right stuff. I'd be off it for a while. And then somebody would say at a gig, would you like a drink? And I just go, yeah. And then two days later, I'd be queuing outside the Tesco waiting for it to open the off license so I could get vodka into me like it was 
like that. Mm. So I have to be really vigilant. I had to be vigilant at the start. And now I just may keep maintaining the stuff that I need to do. Yeah. And it works brilliant. Yeah. But I'd say now if I stop doing the stuff that I do, you know, right. it, I could I could slip into it. I mean, like people will literally give you drink. They won't even ask, do you want to drink? They're like, here. Yeah. Now, it didn't happen that often, but it does happen, yeah. especially at Christmas. Right. I was doing this gig, right? I was told that it was, it was a, an Essex um, Golf Association were coming up to 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 Covent Garden mm-hmm. and they got me to do it. They had a comedian. I went down. It was all guys. Even the bar stuff was guys. And I, I was like, they were all, you know, they were really rowdy. And I thought, fuck me. It was the first time I thought, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. And I rang my agent and he was like, Joe, you know, just do your best. Just do the minimum amount that you'll get paid. Just go up on stage. So, you know, say, oh, you must be disappointed that I'm not a stripper. He gave <laughs> me like these stock lines to say, you know, that we're so not PC. Yeah. But sure, fuck <laughs> it. And um, they, they, um, so they, yeah, I got up and they were rowdy as fuck. And they were just, I don't know what was wrong. They were like whistling me and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this hasn't happened to me in ages. And, but we had like a lot of banter. One guy just ran up on stage, pretended to lick me out. But it was kind of relevant to the material. Like my material is quite dirty. But I, I don't, I'm not affected by that. I thought that was quite funny. Another guy picked me up. But part of me it was like, I was like, this is okay. I'm, I'm able to deal with this. Just I'll get the money and go. And um, afterwards, then they wanted me to stay and they were handing me drinks and I just had to get out of there. Mm. Um, but it was a it was a convivial atmosphere. You know, I was kind of like he should have gotten a stripper. They would have loved that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, sh- I should have just asked for an extra 50 quid to show them my tits. But they were they were nice. They always do this. These lads, they're like, oh, we're the best bunch of lads. And we're the best bunch of lads. And they're like, you're just normal lads. And then you meet all the different kind of guys like there'll be the the really hot one who doesn't really speak, but expects you to speak to him. Then there'd be like the more kind of personality ones. Then there'd be the intellectual one that tells you about some law case that he helped the lads with in 1973. And <laughs> it's really, you get a microcosm of lad life when yeah. you do these nights and they, how they interact with you in different ways. It's really interesting. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest, when you talk about people coming up on stage and let's be honest, assaulting you, I find that quite shocking. Yeah, it wasn't just really an assault though, because he, it was, he could t- he could sense that I could take it, and I could think one or two people were a bit worried. But then when I showed that I wasn't worried, like I'm probably going to I don't know is this terrible? Um, uh, and it was I was talking about um I had a bit of material where I talked about a really having a really small boyfriend. He couldn't go down on me; he had to go up on me. <laughs> and then this guy was small, so he did an impression. So I can't say that I didn't court that, <laughs> you know. Well, and um, yeah, it's not asking for volunteers, though, is it really? <laughs> I didn't ask for a volunteer. No, I didn't. But it, like it was within. But I don't know. I come from a different generation. Um, you know, when I was young, the idea of feminism was this ladette culture. Hmm. And you know, if you were to be a feminist, was to be like Denise Van Outen, somebody really, you know, you she could drink a load of pints, she could balance a pints of beer in her arse. She was fun. She was leery. She was loud. She'd hmm. fart. And be to me in that kind of loaded magazine culture. Being a feminist is being kind of one of the lads. Mm. Now that's not at all accurate or true or representative or desirable. Yeah. But it is a and you know I probably need to grow and process things in a more mature way. But I suppose you have to remember I'm an alcoholic, and um, I'm a product of that culture. I'm a product of a Catholic upbringing where 
I would have been very strictly brought up. My dad trained to be a priest. Mm -hmm. uh, we were always in church, as was the whole society then when I was growing up. And then breaking free from that was just getting into this ladder culture and hedonistic kind mm -hmm. of thing. So that's still with me. So I would still carry that boys will be boys stuff, even though I know it's not right. Mm. And I I know that I would not be representative of younger women or doing them a favor, perhaps, perhaps by tolerating that. But at the same time, that's my character defect. That's how I dealt with that situation. Mm. And that is what happened on that night. <laughs> and I was fine. <laughs> That's surprising. I'm genuinely surprised by that. Yeah, it was a private gig. They all knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want people to be upset on my behalf no. for sure about that. Mm. You know, I I got my money. I I would I preferred doing a good gig with a bit of ha handsy onness <laughs> than them hating me in my comedy. Yeah. And then yeah, then and then saying we, we don't want to pay her. Yeah. I I dealt with it with the skills that I had. Yeah. So there you go. Do you find that as a woman in comedy that you are treated differently by the industry and audiences or differently in Ireland as, as opposed to England? Um, differently by the industry and um, maybe by audiences. Yeah, differently, better by the industry. Okay. Um, yeah, better by the industry. Like, you know, it's simple maths. Let's say about maximum 15% of comedians are females, but you need one woman on each bill. So therefore, you 15% of comedians competing for 25% of the bill. Um, so you've got a bump there mm. in um, in gigs that are available to you. I think you get, if you're a decent woman, you get more chances. I found that in my life. So yeah, the industry treats you better. Mm -hmm. As regards audiences, I do feel I have to be really self-deprecating at the start of my gig and be like really non-threatening. I wouldn't be able to go on with an arrogant stance the way so men are. Because people want, they don't want women to be real cocky, right. you know, but I've learned to do that and bring a lot of energy. I've learned that too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I didn't think that people thought women were less funny, but in recent times, since Christmas, I've been to two shows. Mm -hmm. They were kind of improvised comedy and mixtures of stand up where there was, so you'd have a troop of people doing stuff and there was a mixture of men and women. And mm -hmm. the women and the men would were equally good, if not the women better. And men just got the louder laughs. They just got the louder laughs. I don't know, is this because they're bigger? Is it because their voices are more booming? Maybe if I talk like that more, I'd get the louder laugh, <laughs> the loud laugh. But people give them the benefit of the doubt, especially mm -hmm. if you're a fat man. That's just amazing for comedy. It's not good <laughs> for your career, your heart, if you're a fat, straight man in comedy. But... It it is immediately people are like, yay, this this I trust. This is great. If you're a fat northern man, even better. That's the holy grail. <laughs> you know? Um so that is um that but so but what is that down to? I don't know. Mm. Um could be that women are more empathetic than men mm -hmm. in general, not as a rule. So when a man comes out and says, Jesus Christ, somebody kicked me in the balls. We're all like, ha, 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 I can imagine that's awful. <laughs> and the men are laughing too. But if I came out and said, oh, my, somebody kicked me in the crotch. Oh, Jesus. Men are like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Um, they, they just crunch up a little bit. So that could be it as well. 
So tell me about your appearances on TV and radio. You've done um, TG4, RTE, BBC. I mean, I know other letters. I've done bits and bobs. I've done yeah. little bits of stand-up. And I was on a competition to find the funniest Irish speaker in Ireland. Got to mm-hmm. the final, drank though, and didn't become the funniest <laughs> Irish speaker in Ireland. Was only in the top four. Um, mm. What else did I do? Yeah, it was it was all good. Um, did bits and bobs. I'd love to. I'd love to do more TV. You know. Yeah. I'd love to do more online stuff. I don't do much. I'm always like writing little sketch ideas. Yeah. And then not doing them, but <laughs> buckling out of it. But I started working with another girl in Ireland. To, we've written some political comedy songs, mm-hmm. and she's also an Irish speaker. But we were doing it kind of bilingually, so that might have a bit of legs soon. Yeah. Louise and the Aidan. She did a lot of improv in New York, and now she's back in Ireland. So that's really good. It's hard to make friends when you're ancient like me, but I've made a good friend in her. <laughs> well, I'm 10 years older than you, so let's... <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? It's not really, but like if you're to start a scratch and like, hello. Like I was talking about this with another guy who's in his 30s, and he mm. said he's just moved to Manchester. And he's like, I think I need to move away. I have no friends. I'm like, can you not make friends in the comedy circuit? He's like, I haven't been able to, <laughs> you know? Um, so how was that television experience? How did it differ from uh, live stand-up? Oh, television is different because I like to just banter with the audience a lot and just yeah. go with the flow, like depending on the audience in live stand-up. But that just doesn't look as good when it's a live television thing or a television thing. So you have to really stick to your script, right. which I find difficult, but it's a good discipline. That's the big difference. Okay. And you said you like doing online. So when um, we entered our pandemic joy and everything was online, how did that how did you respond to that? Um, I found I did. I made a mini soap opera, mm-hmm. and I that's on my YouTube called SE4 Lockdown, yeah. which had like four or five episodes. It was um, I made a few sketches with my friends in English and Irish, and I just tweeted a good bit. Not tweeted, but I put up Facebook posts and the likes of that. I didn't do as much as lots of people. I didn't become a TikTok sensation or anything like that. <laughs> um, I tried a little bit, and um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't um, embrace it as much as I would like to have had. Maybe I don't have the the wherewithal. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of my online stuff. So <laughs> there you go. It's very good. I enjoyed it. Oh, have you? Oh, fair play to you. I I was starved for entertainment as much as anybody else, so I absorbed the internet. The whole, or like good all of man. it. So uh, yes, I saw I saw it, and even down to your just playing on the guitar, doing Christmas songs and things. Oh yeah, I do like a little bit of music every so often with my sister. Yeah, just for something to do when we go home to my yeah. family house in Kilkenny in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm I'm well impressed. Yeah. You've done your good research work there. <laughs> that's excellent. I feel, I know two things about Kilkenny. Um, it's in the south of Ireland, and it has a comedy festival. That is correct. And it has yes. a castle. I know three things. Well, you're not going to be on Mastermind, but you're definitely you're definitely <laughs> headed there. You could do Junior Mastermind, Kilkenny. Yeah, it does. It has all those things. I suppose some of them which informs not the south of Ireland, maybe, but the, the castle. I worked as a tour guide there, and I got a taste for entertaining people and making yeah. jokes. <laughs> and I also worked for the Caps Laugh Comedy Festival as a teenager, volunteering with it. So that was incredible. You were 13, 14, 15. You'd go in, mm-hmm. you'd stack chairs. You'd make sure people were coming in and out, putting them in their seats. Then the boss would say, can you get Mr. O'Hanlon an apple? And you're running down to the shop to get Arlo O'Hanlon an apple. You're talking to Dylan Moore. And, <laughs> you know, you're getting Dom Herrera out of a pub when he's pissed. 
you know, we, I was experienced this amazing wild life of comedy with these wild, funny, hilarious people that had this frantic life. And I suppose I didn't, I mean, I didn't know I was an alcoholic then, but I definitely wanted to be. I was an apprentice and <laughs> just hanging around with the comedians was so fun. And I loved the life. I loved watching it. Um, so it gave me great insight into comedy at a young age. Didn't do it for years, mm. but always had it in the back of my mind that I'd love to do it. And I often worked for the festival as a venue manager when I could. Yeah. Did you take inspiration from any of those comedians that you, you saw back then? Um, David O'Doherty was probably my favorite. And when I started off doing comedy, I did musical comedy. I had a mm. song called People I Slept With, which I revived <laughs> in Leicester the year before last. And a very long song, obviously. Yeah. It's, more like an, it's more like an a three-part aria. And it's, it, um, he was, he, I, that's what I thought was hilarious. Mm. And I, tr I don't think, I didn't deliberately try to be like him, but I think I did. Um, and I love Dylan Moran as well, or mm. Dylan Moran, as the English call him. <laughs> and I kind of try to, I don't think I deliberately did it, but I remember being like, loving his descriptions, his wonderful wording. And mm. attempting to write such wordings, and they never worked for me. And I don't know what I got wrong. Was it the timing or the fact that I'm not him? His persona is so strong. Well, I could never <laughs> carry off those things. Or did I not believe it because I was slightly mimicking him? You mm. know? Yeah. Um, but he's very good. I mean, I still see young comedians. It's my least um, favorite type of comedian. Is um, Although it was my favorite when I was young and didn't do comedy. And this is my least favorite type of comedian. Mm -hmm. It's young, relatively good looking, if not very good looking man mm -hmm. who's quite posh, who yeah. just doesn't tuck a shirt in. So we're all then sort of thinking he's not good looking and just because he's a little bit nerdy, you know, and then he has all this nerdy stuff that he talks about. And he's like, I can't find a girlfriend. And there's like five girls in the front going like, dream lover. Oh, my God. You know, but I used to totally <laughs> fall for that. I used to be like, oh, my God, maybe I could be the one who he could relate to and get on with. And you're like, you know, nobody else seems to like him. It seems to um, permeate the industry. And some of them are really good. I saw one recently and I have to admit he was he's a really good joke writer and he had lovely descriptions. But he yeah. was doing that. He was pretending not to be good looking. I'm like, I, I know your game. Look, just comb your hair, you'll be fine. Just wear, don't wear that shirt. Actually good looking. And um, sure, he knows it himself. And um, it's funny. Yeah, that is my pet peeve now that I'm an older female comedian. But it was my absolute love this. Like, yeah, all those guys, I loved them when I was younger. Yeah. And I don't know if you can have it as a genre. I mean, you don't go into Netflix and go young, <laughs> pretending not to be good looking, good looking nerdy it's the Hugh Grant kind of shit isn't it um that kind of Nick Hornby vibe yeah um where they're feeling sorry for themselves while listing off all their ex-girlfriends I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was my I didn't know I felt so strongly about that sorry about that Mark <laughs> I'm going to look at the people you've interviewed now and, and point them out to you and be like look get rid of his recording it's uh he's living a lie <laughs> <laughs> So are there peers now that uh, continue to inspire you? People who aren't young, um, not good looking, but good looking. Men. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, well, I love fat Northern. That's really good. Yeah. But sometimes they do it as well. They are just like, I'm a tiny bit fat. So I'm going to pretend I'm not good looking, but I'm actually really good looking. And then everyone accepts <laughs> that they're a tiny bit fat. 
<laughs> that they have their struggle. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, women do it too. I mean, you see beautiful girls going up and say, oh God, I'm so single. And there's five lads at the front of her with a wig man in their trousers. But <laughs> if women don't get away with it, people will go, people won't react. People, The audience kind of instinctively knows that that's not the case. Mm. But for, for the audience to just go for this, the men who, who I think men just are a bit stupid and they can't see when a man is good looking. Um, <laughs> so they just go along with it. As the man says what he is, he is what he is. And it's to a certain extent, if you are, you say what you are in comedy, that's what you are, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's fine. You know, I used to, sometimes I say I look like Rod Stewart. Sometimes I say I look like a shit Taylor Swift. You know, sometimes I say I look like a Victorian brothel keeper. Like, I don't think I look like any of those people, but it's fine. <laughs> so um, are there people now that, um, as I say, they, they they inspire you, the people you go out of your way to to, to go and see still? Um, David O'Doherty mm-hmm. is great. She's really keeps evolving. Yeah. Um, I miss a comedian called Maeve Higgins. She used to be over in England and Ireland. She was my favorite. And she was the first person to give me a paid spot to support her mm. about 10 years ago. Oh, that was a good day. 150 quid. Oh, my God. To do with the thing you love, I nearly cried. Um, who else? Um, people people like um, Chris Rock, I always love. Mm-hmm. Bill Burr is great because he, he he can rub people up the wrong way, but we still accept him as a kind of a cool guy because he knows, <laughs> he's self-aware enough to know that he's no angel. He's, you know, he's learning. He, he grows as a person all the time. Yeah. He's a self-analytical. Um, mm. Who else have I seen recently um, that's really good? Um, who do I love gigging with? I, um, probably, I love Dave McSavage. I don't know if you know that guy. I don't he's know. Irish. Mm. You should find him at some stage, although he is a cranky, cranky man. I just did a podcast with him. It's just out this week. Mm-hmm. And he's probably one of the best comedians in Ireland. He had a television show that was really huge. Uh, he's always in top secret. He's he, he've never seen him do a set, per se. He's always got he'll go on with thought in his head. He will then he'll go on stage and it will be a fully formed bit. Mm-hmm. somebody will always nearly work walk out of his gigs like he's not the most <laughs> kind of family friendly or politically correct mm. or somebody to make everyone feel good he really riles up people and he manages then to to bring the audience back to him yeah so i like watching him a lot i love gigging with him and he just i'd love to get to that point of just not giving a fuck and just saying what i think mm-hmm. but you know my opinions are just about Good-looking young male comedians pretending not to be good-looking. It's not really enough to get strong about strongly across the mountain stage, and everyone's like relating to this. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> who else do I really like? Um, people that are very different to me as well, because often when you're watching stand-ups that mm. are doing observational comedy, you're comparing yourself to them. Mm. You know, because it's they're going to have similar stuff. Um, I gigged with a girl last night. She's really good. She talked about being with a posh boyfriend. I was like, fucking hell, I've got stuff about being a posh man too. And I was kind of seeing how she did it versus how I did it. And, mm. you know, so it wasn't quite a relaxing. Right. Um, but then I saw this guy who came afterwards. His name was Carl Porter. And I gigged them once before and he did the middle spot and he's completely physical. He does all this slow motion stuff. It's really, he's like a clown, but that didn't go to that annoying clown school that just <laughs> like makes people laugh in the schoolyard or in the pub. 
and he was fantastic I just really enjoyed it because I could completely relax because this is like so not in my pay grade uh, you know go he can just go off and and be great and do it and it was really interesting so I can't wait to gig with him again that mm. fellow Carl Porter yeah. um I don't know I think he's from I'm gonna say Manchester mm-hmm. yeah that's he's from Manchester so who else this is all and then like Chris Rock is probably my favorite comedian. I remember watching him as a teenager and feeling mm. like I was learning about men, which in hindsight is not very healthy. <laughs> um, you know, again, maybe that's why I'm so, so, um, <laughs> such a, such a bad feminist, allowing people to run up on the stage. <laughs> there you go. Are you able to watch other, other acts as an audience member or do you, does the comedian in you analyze their acts? A little bit, and then I have remind myself because some people are very critical mm. of um, other comedians, mm. and kind of especially if people do stuff that the audience likes, but it's kind of a bit stereotypical mm. or broad. Those comedians are really criticised. But I'm able to step back and say, God, remember when you used to just go to comedy clubs? You would have found that hilarious. Or that's yeah. he is a good comedian. He's a good performer. Just because he's not doing all this edgy stuff doesn't mean you have to say he's shit. You know, yeah. I think I am. Of course, we all think we're able to do everything objectively. Yeah. Um. So I do take a step back and I do watch it, try to remember the eyes that I had when I started going into comedy and how I thought it was magic mm-hmm. rather than being cynical about it. I gigged with these two guys just before Christmas. Um, Killian Sunderman and Michael Fry. They're Irish comedians. They, they did it all online. They started doing videos during lockdown and theirs just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fry does this really good thing where he's a great musician. So he gets five different split screen and he pretends to be an indie band and he'll just make a song up about <laughs> like the current affairs. Like remember that the first time I heard of him was that parish. Do you remember that video from the parish council that went viral? It's a real pandemic thing. You mightn't remember it, but it's this woman went was, was on a parish council they were videoing the zoom people were being really aggro and it went viral mm. and he just made that into a song right and they they had and they, I, I opened for them they were so good their stand-up was really different they had their own audience they bypassed the whole circuit they didn't have to do anything that wasn't really fresh and original mm-hmm. like they weren't always being the best loosest entertainers because you know they weren't actually used to doing stand-up or crowd work but yeah. they, I was like, wow, they, they, they really hit on something just going the internet and going straight to their designer audience yeah. of lovely, all the audience members who want to be there. They yeah. were really inspiring. Yeah. When you're performing, do you get nervous before you go on stage? No, not anymore. I used to for a few years. Yeah. So how was it for the first time you performed and you, you had to go on set and stage for the first time? Oh, the worst. I became friends with a girl called Eleanor Tiernan. You probably know Eleanor. Yeah, I saw her this week. Yeah. She said to me, oh, you should do comedy. And I was like, stop, Eleanor. No, no, but I told you to want to. <laughs> and so she signed me up for an open mic. And in six weeks, I knew I had to do a gig. And I didn't really prepare anything. I had a few ideas in my head. Mm-hmm. And I got so dressed up. I had this padded bra on. I had more material in my bra than my jokes. I had a mini skirt on. I was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know why. I just thought that would give me confidence. But actually, it made me less funny. And 
I was so nervous. I went into the toilet. I'm totally lapsed Catholic, but I went into the toilet and I was on my knees in the dirty toilet in the hayfenny, just in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, and I will be in the kingdom. Speed praying, speed praying, about to just cop out at any second. And then the MC came in, and the MC was Willa White, who's a well known Irish comedian, and he um, had a kid that I taught in the school I was in at the time. So yeah. Ireland's such a small place. And he was like, oh, how are you, teacher? Are you here for the comedy? And I'm like, oh, I am the comedy, Willa. I am the comedy. So <laughs> I I didn't do amazing, but I, I blacked out, like not from drink, just I physically can't remember what I did. But I got just enough laughs for me to want to do it again. But it was painful, painstaking, horrible. <laughs> All the lead up, everything like that. Yeah. So what's what has changed between then and now that the nerves have gone away? Well, I suppose you just have stuff that you know works. When you start off, unless you're mm. a really good joke writer and have come in through the joke writing way, like some people are just really good at writing jokes. Like my friend Masai Graham, he yeah. wrote jokes for years. He didn't even mm. want to do stand-up. He just wanted to get joke of the fringe. That was his aim. And the stand-up is a byproduct of him doing jokes. <laughs> and now he's a good stand-up and he has his own style. But yeah. I was very much like somebody that was funny in the pub and funny in school. And everyone was like, you should do comedy. I actually had no material, you know. <laughs> so um, and it took me years to get anything that was in a semblance of a decent amount of material, decent jokes, you know, just stuff that you knew that is going to work no matter what. If, I, if I'm in bad mood, if there's shit audience, if mm. I'm drunk, if I'm sober, you know, if they're <laughs> English, if they're French, if they're Latvian, it's going to work. So when you get that inner confidence, you know, yeah. you can rock up with the cockiness. And then the more you realize that the more confident you are, if you're not having a good time, for me anyway, the mm. type of comedy I do, if I'm not having a good time, those fuckers ain't going to be having a good time either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we torture them if I'm like, so anyway, um, anyone in a relationship? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where am I? You know, you have to sacrifice mm. being relaxed for remembering all your material or sacrifice no, sacrifice your material, remember everything, getting the order perfect and holding onto it like that yeah. for being relaxed and at ease and enjoying stuff. Yeah. So what about um, your on-stage persona? How much of the real Adina are we seeing on stage? Oh, you tell me, Mark. <laughs> That's good. I'd love to. I'd lo I think about persona a lot and don't do anything about it. Mm. Um, she, I mean, if, if I acted, if, if, if I mean, it's exaggerated. If I just, yeah. everything that Adina McQueen did, that would be so bad but then it's not that far. a lot of the stuff is true and most of my stuff is pretty much true mm. sometimes I'll combine two boyfriends or two sugar daddies or two incidents together yeah um but it will usually have the truth in it yeah. you know yeah so I'm yeah I don't I don't I, I that's a good question um well, what do you think <laughs> <laughs> The interviewer has become the interviewer. Well, sadly, I have not spent nearly enough time in your company to form that opinion. Oh, that's very sad for you. Very yeah. much so. Mm -hmm. um, we had some, some nights out in Leicester now, the lights. Yeah. Yes, I would say, as you said, that I feel like that you exaggerate a little bit yeah. in talking to you, and I hope you'll forgive me, but my impression was that you're quite shy and a little bit demure, perhaps, when you're not on stage, but on stage you're a bit more fiery. Is that fair to say? Okay, yeah, that's true. This, yeah, that's true. I kind of bully men, actually. You're right, Mark. I do. <laughs> like, if you are, if I'm seeing or if I'm doing, I'll be, be quite mean and quite mock flirty with men and stuff like that. Um, kind of like a cougary <laughs> vibe. 
that I wouldn't do in real life. That's true. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm shy now. No. But I'm not. And I don't. I think when I was before I did comedy, I used to be much more wanted to be centre of attention. Mm-hmm. And now in a group, I don't really need to be centre of attention because I can always get it on stage, you know. So actually, it's more relaxing yeah. for me just to be listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely it. Yeah. What so far has been your best and worst moments in comedy? Ooh, um, best moments probably doing the Vodafone. I mean, sorry, the Paddy Power Comedy Festival. Sorry, sponsor. <laughs> um, with Dylan Moran and the likes of that, the huge mm. acts, Tommy Tiernan, just really feeling like a comedian amongst my comedian heroes. Mm. Um, there's been a few things like that that's been great. Bigger Street doing the Virgin Media Television program. Mm-hmm. They've all been highlights. Um, and let me see, worst experience. I'm trying to think now. Oh, there's a, there's been a few. There's definitely been a few <laughs> really bad gigs. <laughs> um, I suppose really worst is probably setting myself back with relapses and alcoholism and stuff like that. Like it's not funny though. Um, <laughs> let me see what else. Um, oh, I know I have a few clangers of gigs that um that I did. I mean, I did this. I was offered to do this rugby club in Hull. It was Hull Rugby Club. And they offered me 500 quid, which is really good money. Mm-hmm. But I had some other kind of much more trendy gig in London that I wanted to do. So I just said no. I just thought, look, this gig will be hard to get again. And yeah. I just said, in order, I, and then my agents went and said, they want you so much, they'll give you a grant. So that's an awful lot of money for, for one just to spend. And they'll put you up in Hilton and hope, or not hope, <laughs> in Hull. And the gig was so hard. They wanted me to do, so I had to do meat raffle. I also had to do, they wanted me to do a competition where the audience had to guess my weight, um, which is a bit weird, and then guess <laughs> yeah. my age. And again, I wouldn't have minded, but it wasn't Bantry, like the lads from Essex. There was a lot of women there. And um, so they were also like, this is a bit weird. And I was like, I don't think I'll do it. So um, <laughs> it was not a great gig at all. And I really just got well left there thinking I've just barely gotten away with this. They barely liked me. Um, I'm just going to go to my hotel now and I am going to think about the money and <laughs> get up and go home. But the man organizing it was really nice. And he and he and myself and his son went to the joke shop because it was Halloween and we had a bit of a laugh there. I remember being like, and the one guy did really well, whom I wouldn't consider I mean, that good of a comedian. I was like, what is going on? But sure, look, everybody's different. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't have been a great comedy highlight. What about um, lessons learned? Do you have like a, a philosophy going forward that, you know, you, you learned a lesson that said, I must do this, I must not do this? Um, I'm learning all the time. You know, mm-hmm. be professional, don't drink. It's it's People get into comedy because they want to have that lifestyle. Mm. But as much as that was feasible maybe 20 years ago, mm-hmm. now there's so many people in comedy who see it as a viable career. You know, wealthy children, very academic people who could have easily gone to Oxford or Cambridge and done something else, might have had a good in something else that are very focused to high, you know, type A people, as they call mm-hmm. them. So you're competing with all of those. So you mm-hmm. want to be on the ball. You want to be recording yourself. You want to be looking back. You want to be writing jokes. I mean, mm-hmm. get, take my advice. I'm, I'm not using it all the time. But it's <laughs> it's a business. Um, but don't do it unless you love it because mm. there's no point i would say as well or you won't even if you're really successful you'd be a little bit miserable i think 
Whereas I just love it. I can't not do it. It's fun for me. Um, yeah. I don't think too much about, I, I mean, I make money out of comedy. I also have other stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not totally dependent on it, which is great, but I like, it is my passion and I'm so happy that I can do it. And I'm so happy I don't have to do nine to five. Um, so <laughs> yeah, make sure you're passionate about it. Make sure you love it. Don't yeah. get into it because it's a career, but you, it is also a career. So my <laughs> advice is don't think of it as a career, but it is a career. So be professional, but don't try to be professional. It's one of those where, you know, it's this beautiful mixture of I'm so casual about it all, but also on the ball. <laughs> Fantastic. Aideen, how can we find out about you? How can we find out where we can come and see you? You can go on Instagram. Um, you can go to Facebook. And Twitter, not so much, not great on the other Twitter, but Instagram is the best place to find me. I put up the gigs and the likes of that. Mm-hmm. YouTube channel as well, Aideen McQueen. There's a few videos there for your dereliction. Is that a word? Delectation. Delectation. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Marvellous. And so the final question that I always ask in line with the title of the podcast, can you please sum up comedy in a nutshell? Laughing at... Mm-hmm. my problems laughing my troubles away mm-hmm. L- yeah it's 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 for me this is not something that in a nutshell but yeah laughing at my pain maybe it's you know if something bad happens to me you know i sit up with a boyfriend i get embarrassing things happen to me there's mm-hmm. part of my brain that goes this is material you know everything is a copy like yeah. you know i say lose a bloke gain a joke bad shot good gag and that's so it's that's what i like that's the kind of comedy i like anyway wouldn't be that into one-liners or the likes or maybe that stuff that's too surreal i like when people when i learn something about somebody and I, even if i learn a bit about life we watch that chris rock where i thought i was being educated i was watching him <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest it's been wonderful thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure 